I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome to the new Health Club podcast. Our now has changed forever. The new Health Club is where the conversation around the new era of mental health, mental wellness and this now, the new now, begins. I think that psychedelics will play a big part in this. We are talking about a completely new lifestyle here. So what are LSD, magic mushrooms, psilocybin and MDMA or ketamine exactly doing for our mental health, personal progress and optimization? Will they change our lifestyles forever? Will they be a big part of this new normal? On the new Health Club podcast, I talk to real innovators, thought leaders and disruptors from the emerging new world of psychedelics, mental health and mental wellness. Please enjoy. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs can be punishable by law. Please keep this in mind. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club podcast. And welcome to our first COVID-19 special. At this moment, it becomes important to reflect on mental wellness and new emotions we are experiencing. It also becomes important, I think, to communicate ideas that are supporting us in these times. And today, it's all about the health workers in the front line. And I talked to Karen Doherty from Ontario and Canada. She's a psychotherapist and psychoanalyst, and she came up with a brilliant idea, I think. She created a network of therapists that help to support nurses, doctors, and everyone working on the front line. Because at this point for them, this can feel like going into a war zone or being into a war zone with no end attached to the date when this war zone might end. Which means that they might have to deal with PTSD later, the so-called post-traumatic stress disorder, or they're already dealing with pre-TSD, as Karen explains. The plain fear of what can happen to them if they go to work in the morning or come home to their families later at night. Are they going to infect somebody? Are they feeling like they're guilty of being healthy? And all of these questions that come up in kind of a pre-TSD condition, like Karen explains. So listen to Karen and her toolkit, how to put together a support system for the health workers and um, how you can actually just, let's say, copy paste this. Enjoy the podcast. So maybe you just introduce yourself quickly. Uh, I'm Karen Doherty. I'm a registered psychotherapist uh, and a uh, psychoanalytic candidate and a documentary filmmaker uh, in Toronto, Canada. And I'm the founder of the Ontario COVID Mental Health Network. 
Perfect. Thank you for, for doing this because I mean, I literally just, um, I woke up one morning a couple of days ago and I was like, I'm going to Google there like PTSD and health workers. Mm. It just, I just woke up and I had this idea and then I Googled it and I, your great, um, enterprise or your, your great idea came up that you mm. basically uh, put together some of your colleagues and offer free therapy for health workers right now. So maybe well, you explain a little bit how this happened. The word free has such connotations. So we're saying pro bono, mm -hmm. um, pro bono teletherapy for COVID frontline workers in the province of Ontario during the pandemic to fill a gap in our public health system, which really undervalues mental health support. Mm -hmm. So we're filling a crucial gap right now because there are not enough, there's not enough funding for uh, mental health support. And we, we know as mental health workers that it's key to um, getting our, keeping our frontline workers resilient enough to do the work that they need to do to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. You know, exactly. So, um, yeah. so that's what we're doing. Um, and we, it, it, it started, um, I put the word out to colleagues with this idea less than two weeks ago. And within a few hours of putting the word out, I had the website up, we had the, the forum. And now less than two weeks later, we have 800 licensed healthcare professionals oh. just in the province of Ontario who have fielded, you know, we've sent over 400 referrals. Um, so uh, it's needed, so necessary, which we knew. We just didn't think it would blow up this big, you know, but it's, yeah. uh, it's obviously hugely needed. And it's partially because we're seeing these terrible images coming from other countries like Italy and uh, and so on, just seeing the, the mayhem, the catastrophe, um, mm. and seeing that we're not there yet, but it's coming. How bad will it be? When will it come? How long will it last? Mm -hmm. All that uncertainty is, um, you know, that's the stuff of anxiety, uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And we're not used to being able to see these kinds of storms on the horizon coming, you know. So mostly we've been seeing pre-TSD. <laughs> pre-TSD, that is, that is like um, your imagined, like an imagined trauma? Or, yes, the yeah. trauma that's coming. Okay, Yeah. pre-TSD, pre okay, that's pre -TSD, interesting. Pre-TSD, yeah. Okay. And, you know, um, so, and, and now, of course, the situation is changing on the ground every day. So the first uh, people who were writing in uh, asking us for referrals, because that's what we do, we're a referral matching service, um, They were, they were anxious about what was to come. Would there be enough supplies? Would there be enough human resources facilities? How many people are going to get sick? Are they going to get sick? Like all the uncertainties. Now we're actually seeing cases um, uh, filling our hospitals. So it's starting now in mm -hmm. Ontario. Mm -hmm. And so now the calls are different. We don't have enough supplies. We don't have enough facilities. We don't have, we have, our shifts are too long. People are not adequately trained, um, you know, uh, and and nurses uh, and doctors are getting sick here. So it yeah, is everywhere, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, what, what would you say, I mean, what is the main kind of tool or what is the main um, thing that or support that they will, they actually need? I mean, like you say, they, they work like very long shifts, but... 
what I read in this article about you is that that this doctor was quoted saying that um, they come home to their children and they've seen like, I mean, it's almost like, it seems like, it sounds like they've been in a war yeah, during the nuclear, day. Nuclear, you know, sort of accident. Yeah. That's how, that's how the virus is being perceived as like some kind of, you know, radiation poisoning or it's the airborne toxic event. I don't know if you've read Don DeLillo's White Noise, but it's, you know, it's, it's like it's in the air or something. And of course, if you're in the hospital, you feel, you feel the, um, the toxicity just sort of like psychically. Mm -hmm. And so when you're coming home, you're, it's silkwood. You, you want to take a shower, you know, radiation cleansing shower, and you can't get yourself clean enough, and then you don't want to hug your children. And, and what do you think, I mean, now that it's changed from pre-TSD to um, PTSD slowly, I guess, like in a couple of months. So what, what do you think, um, what is the main like harm that health workers are actually would take away from this or are taking away from it like every day right now? What is the main thing? With the stress. The stress. So, okay. I mean, aside mm -hmm. from the actual physical danger. Well, besides that, yeah, sure. The absolute stress of making life or death decisions, having to make ethical choices or worried about having to make ethical choices that they're not prepared to do? Do I save this person or, and not this person? Um, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, uh, t terror. Um, and still, always underlying it is the fear of taking it home. Mm. But also, people are burned out already, you know, because stress is very exhausting. And we know that stress is one of the, one of the worst sort of um, physical uh, ailments that you can have. But, but when you say burned out, I mean, there's this what I, I did a lot of podcasts recently where a lot of people working in the mental health industry say um, burnout means basically depression. And there was this yeah. little study, like not really elaborated, that I just read before we talked about um, a study they did in Wuhan uh, with health workers. And in the end, like 50% were clinically depressed after the main event. So, okay. I mean... Tell us how, if, if, if you want to do this in other countries or cities even, what, what is, how would you um, recommend what structure is needed to do this very fast? What structure? I don't know. I mean, you have to have the right people on the right, you know, you have to have the right team. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to get the word out, um, first of all. To, and then, um, you know, we're, we have... Um, As I said, we have 800 licensed mental health professionals. Not all of those people have the adequate training to support an ER doctor, for example. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to match people uh, like an ER doctor or an ER nurse with someone who has training in um, a hospital setting who understands what they're up against. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, you know, if it's, if it's just someone who you know, has sort of does general therapy with kids or adolescents, they're, they're not going to have the, the ability to listen adequately, to understand adequately. That's all that we can provide as mental health workers because we can't fix it, right? We can't fix the problem. We can't make the hospital have more supplies. We can't, you know, we can give them an ear and a very particular way of listening so that they can then, um, you know, sort of uh, have the resilience to go back and 
and do what they need to do. But that's all we can really offer. Mm. And then we can also offer maybe their first experience asking for help, getting some help, understanding what that is, and maybe making it possible and less stigmatized to go and get more help later. And do you think there should be like, I mean, like if you talk about resilience, what, what would you say? I mean, how could you create resi resilience for yourself as a health worker right now? Is it basically asking for help and to give this kind of heavy burden away to somebody to kind of help you go through it? Is that basically the main thing, right? I mean, to create that it, resilience. Yeah. And not just compartmentalizing because that is, that leads to stress. So actually kind of, yes, uh, sometimes you can think of it in different ways. Psychically, are you um, extruding, <laughs> you know, like what, you know, are you uh, like exactly what are you doing with the anxiety, but you are putting it into someone else who's metabolizing it for you and handing you back, you know, your, your, your experience in a more digestible fashion. So then you're calmer. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the a basic way of saying what, um, what therapy does, uh, in crisis. Okay. And then, uh, so, you know, we can say that that builds resilience. What is resilience, but the capacity to better tolerate the uncertainties and the storms, like to not know, to be okay with not knowing because people want certainty. They want to know when's it coming, how many people are going to, how many masks mm -hmm. do we need, you know, mm -hmm. like how long is it going to last? And we, we can't give them that, but we can allow them to see that it's okay to not know. That's it. You have to be okay with not knowing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, um, there were already a couple of articles addressing the situation, like after, like, let's say the phase of PTSD for not, not only everybody else, but especially for these people who went like, again, I feel it's like everything I hear, it's like, um, being in the front lines of war almost. Yes. Yes. So, and, um, of course there are already a lot of kind of talks about, um, MDMA therapy for PTSD treatment, mm. for example, what, what, what do you think about that? I mean, is that something that will come through this yeah. maybe stronger in, in the focus oh, again. So interesting. Um, I know that's what your interest is, uh, in general. And I do follow those stories. I'm always interested in, um, in especially war trauma, treating war trauma. And I've seen a lot of PTSD studies with mm -hmm. MDMA and other, um, you know, psychedelics and so on. I'm sure I, these are doctors, so they're probably going to be curious. I just don't know how that will be done in a country that has such stringent, you know, um, uh, laws. But we do have um, some folks at York University here in Toronto who are dedicated to um, to those kinds of studies, psychological studies, MDMA. Well, I feel in Toronto is actually a really big psychedelic community, I feel. I mean, For that's sure. my that's my impression. That, uh, ayahuasca. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, there's lots of ayahuasca retreats north of the city and... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, lots of microdosing. That's a lot among my young patients. Oh, really? A lot of microdosing. Oh, yeah. yeah. LSD and um, psilocybin or what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting to say that around your young patients because I feel... um Yeah. Because, I mean, I feel like in, in general, I just had Ayelet Waldman on a podcast who wrote... Um, Uh, a really good day, how microdosing saved my marriage and um, my life, basically. <laughs> it's a really good book. <laughs> you should really read it. <laughs> and I mean, but I mean, it's kind of 
times right now, it's like there's nothing relatable to, to what's happening right now. So do you think as a therapist that therapy also has to kind of step up the game in a little bit and just because therapy is still needed, even if you do psychedelics, it's just not, it's yeah. kind of an, I mean, the best thing is if they go hand in hand, basically. So yeah. do, do you think yeah. about that as a therapist already? Like how you, how this could come in the next two years for people like I that? I keep my eye on it, um, as I said, and, and I'm very interested in it. I don't know how it's going to be possible for us. Um, in, in, although we've just made, you know, we've just legalized cannabis in Canada. Right, yeah. So that's I mean, a big shift. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, our colleges are, like our licensing bodies are very strict about um, ethics and so on. And this is one thing that, that what nobody would be allowed to do, mm. but that may shift over time, given what we're seeing in some of the more, uh, like some of the larger so social changes. Um, so if, if it ever does become, you know, uh, legal mm -hmm. to do with my patients. And I think given my training and study, because I think there would have to be courses and stuff in, sure. introduced mm -hmm. into the colleges mm -hmm. that I would not to that if I saw you know I'm, I'm interested in all tools to help my patients and I mean like regarding in regards to your other patients right now what, what would you say is the main fear that people have right now I mean is it of course the unknown and everything but what what is like something that's really significant to you that you maybe didn't really expect to hear that might come out of this hard, you know, because every patient is bringing their own uh, current circumstances and their history to bear on how they're experiencing this. So some people are terrified uh, financially, you know, of their, their future opportunities. Some people are much more relaxed suddenly because now everybody's doing what they always do, which is hunker down and stay home, and they, now they feel less guilty about it. I mean, everybody's yeah. <laughs> a different yeah. response. Sure. So I think the biggest fear is like this is everyone knows that this is a turning point in world history. We're living in it in a way that, um, I mean, even 9-11, I'm not sure, felt quite like this. I'm not sure about how you feel about that. But um, having gone through 9-11, not even that felt like this. The world changed that day. Um, but it's so it's so global right now. Um, so what world is going to, what, what is the world going to be? But I mean, if you, you just said it, it's like because it's so global, shouldn't there be like, already a um a central kind of i don't know organization for therapy where every health worker could call in right now like with the world health organization or un or something i mean it seems like seems like yeah, a total absolutely. like makes but, total but sense they're not nothing they're not agile enough mm, that's, that's an interesting thing right yeah yeah government um should be behind all of this They absolutely should. Mm. Um, the, you know, I, I, this is my profession, so of course I, uh, I, I do think it should be valued and value placed on it, but there's no time. Mm. We're in the midst of a mm -hmm. crisis, but the mm. government just doesn't, isn't able to move as quickly as, you know, mm -hmm. sort of individuals and grassroots on the ground. How interesting is that? Yeah. I mean, look at the states, how, how late their response has been. I mean, they still don't have adequate testing. 
and we're, you know, we're, we're right in the thick of it. Um, mm-hmm. They can't, they just can't move fast enough and they're blaming each other and, you know, and uh, like, just go. You have to be able to change procedures and process and yeah. let go of some of your, you know, over, over regulating um, in times True. of crisis. I mean, if somebody wanted to do this, I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's always things that happening now happen in, in terms of a community or like, for example, Ayelet, like we talked about her earlier, she did this, um, you know, her husband founded this uh, organization called Feed ER, like where they brought, bringing restaurants, they cook from the area and they bring it to the ERs or the yes. feed the ERs basically. Mm-hmm. So it seems like everything happens from a community and then grows bigger and hopefully like as big as possible. So um, what, what is your, let's say if somebody wanted to do this in other cities or like bigger cities like Berlin, New York, whatever, like what is your advice? How would you start? Well, I, I actually got the idea from New York. That's okay. how I found out about it in the first place. There was, okay, a, wow. um, I was just scrolling social media one day and saw, um, saw a group in New York um, do offering the same. And I just looked at what they did. And uh, looked to see, sent out a message. This is how I did it. I sent out a message to my network, my social network, Mm -hmm. and said, this is what I'm seeing in New York. Can we do something like that here? Is there something like that here? And within, as I said, within two hours, I had great people who got back to me, a person who was a tech person, like a great friend of mine who's a writer Mm -hmm. and a a web person, and then a psychoanalyst colleague and a colleague from like a friend from my childhood who happens to be an administrative guru I had no idea she was 10 years old when we were friends you know that's Facebook right for you right and that's the core team mm-hmm. and so you need to get a good team of people and mm-hmm. then you just uh, this is what I did I just went I just went damn the torpedoes and then I we had it up and I sent it out and then I called this uh, CBC, which is our national public broadcaster. They did a piece. Sure, yeah. And very quickly I had, you know, it was up and running. And now we've been, you know, just trying to keep up with ourselves and put processes in place. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think if it's possible for people to, you know, reach out to government, the problem is they if, if I had have done that, I would still be waiting. For sure. I mean, also, I think that, um, like, let's say the old perception of people who work there at the moment in hospitals is like, well, they kind of worked it. They know how it is to work in a hospital. So, and I think this whole idea of mental health, which is, which is also a big part of, um, the new health club, how this is changing right now, um, is like, well, okay, but they just been sent to, um, the third world war and it, they don't work in a hospital anymore kind of. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think that yeah. nobody seems to, I mean, everybody's like, yeah, bring them food, which is fantastic and everything. And it's like, whoa, they're clapping everywhere and they're singing for them. But I, yeah. since I read this thing about you, even before I was like, Hmm, but what if they come home in the evening and they had like 20 people that they couldn't help and they just had to make a decision that they hated and now they hate, do they hate themselves? Do they yeah. hate their family? Yeah. Do they, are they feel they guilty because they survived or all these yeah. kind of questions yeah. that must come up in you like every yeah. two minutes kind of, I feel. Oh, so. I know it's, um, 
that's what we're hearing. And, uh, and so it's definitely needed. And I encourage people to do what they can in their jurisdiction, depending on, you know, it's always going to be different, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Anna. Thank you. Have a good okay. day. Stay safe. Okay, and I keep you, you posted. Care. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.